This morning we uh, continue our Advent series, and as we do, we land on the uh, attribute of peace. We have discussed at this point hope and love and joy, and we've said that the coming of Jesus Christ brought these in the truest way in, in the history of mankind, that, that for the first time in history, man truly experienced hope, truly experienced love, truly experienced joy. And today, as I say, we come to the topic of peace. As amazing as hope and joy and love have been as we've looked at them, and as deeply important they are to humanity because of the gift of Jesus Christ, I would say this week's gift, peace, is the one that in a way outshines them all. Peace is, is probably the most central quality that God's people anticipate with the coming of Christ. When we talk about all the different attributes that we're, we've discussed at this point, peace is the one that has been the number one anticipated gift from Jesus Christ in his coming. Let me explain to you why I say that. It's because the idea of peace is ever-present in the word of God as it points to the coming of Jesus Christ. The word of God, I think, makes, makes the point that peace is the central anticipation of the coming of Jesus Christ. The Messianic prophecy that we read this morning says this, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So the Messianic prophecy in Isaiah directly states, as Christ's title, the Prince of Peace. And then it says, the, the end of his peace will not come, that there will be no end to the peace that he brings. Messianic prophecy in Isaiah 53 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Zechariah 9 prophesies he will speak peace to the nations, Ezekiel 37 says, a covenant of peace will be established by him. And Micah 5 says that he will shepherd his flock and he will be their peace. So over and over and over again, as the Bible has pointed to the coming of Christ, to the advent of Christ, it is declared that what he brings for us is peace. It was the central anticipation of the coming of Christ. The advent of Christ would bring peace. And it is probably um, expressed, I think, most directly in probably the most dramatic scene in all of the Christmas story. This is one that we've reflected upon every time we come to Christmas. All of us as, as Christians, when we think about Christmas, this is the one scene that probably leaps out the most at us because of its majesty. It's found in Luke chapter 2. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. 
For you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The reason, why, reason I say it, this is probably the most dramatic scene is because of its magnitude, right? Every time I've thought about this, every time I reflect on this in the Christmas season, I think of these guys out in the field and this angel just appears to them. Now, I think for a lot of times we can read this and we can kind of read over the, the dramatic nature of what is taking place here. First of all, these are shepherds. Have you ever thought about what a shepherd's life would be like? Right? It is probably, most of the time, incredibly boring. I mean, they're sitting out there in the, in the dark. They're sitting out there and there's just a bunch of sheep sitting there. And their job is to stand there and wait and just look and see. Maybe a threat would come, maybe a threat won't come. But they're just sitting there as these sheep are sitting. And this isn't like modern times. They didn't have an iPad that they were, that they were playing, you know, Candy Crush on. Right? They're just sitting there. And because of their boredom, they would do things like play instruments or sing and things like that. But they have nothing else going on. And they're sitting there watching these sheep in the dark of night. And all of a sudden, an angel appeared. And the glory of the Lord shone around about them. And they were afraid. Uh, the, the impact, the strength of this, the incredible nature of this scene shouldn't be lost. And then after the, the angel makes this declaration, after this angel breaks in with the glory of God showing around them and them standing in fear, he tells them, don't be afraid because I bring you good news. The arrival of Jesus, born to you today, is a savior, the Christ. And what's really interesting is, she, is the angel says to them, this will be a sign to you the babe will be wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now what's particularly interesting about this is that there are some who believe that these might be the very shepherds that tended the lambs that were reserved for the temple. Jesus Christ was born near Migdal Edar, which is the, temp, the tower of the flock. And, and it, is the, it is the specific sheep that were being raised up for the purpose of being used as a sacrifice. The sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world, this is what he was, that what, what the, it is likely that these were the shepherds that they were, they were tending these sheep. And what's really interesting about this is what they would do to preserve a newborn sheep that would be used for the sacrifice, to keep them pure, to keep them protected, is they would swaddle them in cloth. When you think about it from that context, when, they, when the angel says to them, this will be a sign to you. This child, this Messiah, this Christ will be wrapped in swaddling clothes. Similarly to the way in which the sheep that were used for the sacrifice were wrapped. What a, what a, what a magnificent scene really for these shepherds as they're sitting there. And we're not done. Because then it says, all of a sudden, 
there is this entire host of angels. This multitude of angels appear. And it is in their announcement, their declaration, that we find, I think, the great revelation about the purpose and the meaning of Jesus Christ's coming. Christ came for the glory of God and for our peace. The, 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 the shepherds are sitting there, this angel appears, tells them what's about to happen, and then all of a sudden, the heavenly hosts come forth. And they shout forth a truth about this night that echoes to this day. That the coming of this Messiah is to reveal the glory of God and to bring into our lives a peace that has never been experienced before. Look at the declaration again. What do they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the announcement. For unto you, and what I love about the way that they say that, I love how they say, for unto you, given to you, this great gift for mankind is born today in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. Here we get the what. What's happening? What's happening is Jesus Christ is being given as a gift to mankind. Unto you is born today. The gift given to you today is Jesus Christ, the Savior. And then the multitude arrive and give us the why and the how. For the glory of God and for the peace for those in whom God is pleased. The first thing we, do, we understand from their declaration is the gift of Christ is for God's glory. This, I think, is the most important thing to understand about the entire story. There is hardly a better way to sum up what God was about when he created the world or when he reclaimed the world in Jesus Christ other than his glory and our peace. That these always work together. God's glory being glorified as he works in us. It is about his greatness, our joy, his beauty, our experiencing true love. The point of creation and, and the redemptive coming of this Messiah is that God is glorious and means to be known and praised for his glory by a peace-filled new humanity. This is something we forget so easily because we simply make our Christian experience about us. For many of us, it really is about coming to him and getting from him what we do. We gain our salvation. We gain a different kind of a different view. We gain a different lifestyle. And we, we make the whole Christian experience about what we are about and what we are to do. But the truth is, Ultimately, this is about God's glory being revealed. Christmas is about God's glory being revealed. Christ's coming is about God's glory being revealed. Our redemption, our salvation, is about God's glory being revealed. That's what we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul describes it like this. He says, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written... I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we are also speak. 
knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. What does Paul describe here as it relates to people coming to salvation? It is so that God is glorified. You realize that each one of us sit in a place where we have a relationship with Christ and we stand as a testament to God's glory. It's not simply about your comfort. It's not simply about making it easier on you. It's so that your salvation, he says, look at my grace, look at my mercy, look at how, how, how deep my love is, that I would save and redeem these. Our salvation is for his glory. I contend that our healing, when, when God breaks in in a miraculous way and brings healing into our lives, it is for his glory to be revealed. I say this because Jesus Christ said in John chapter 9, when he was asked about the man who was born blind since birth and his healing, they said, what was this about? Is it about his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus' answer was, it was not this man's sin or his parents' but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Like, imagine the great benefit to this man who was blind since birth to have sight. What a great blessing. What, 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 a, what a great gift from God. But Jesus himself declares it's not simply about that. In fact, it was primarily about the glory of God being revealed. When God breaks into your life in, in amazing ways, and each one of us has a testimony to the way in which God has done stuff for us and done stuff in us. True physical healing like what we see in this story. Emotional healing, a, a personal healing, a renewal of our very spirits. And each one of those is not simply for our pleasure or for our comfort, but that God is glorified in it and says, here I am. See me. God's judgment is about his glory being revealed. Paul writes in Romans and said, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of his mercy? Paul is describing both ends of what God does, both in his judgment and in his mercy, being there to show forth his glory and describe who he is. Every work among man is for God's glory. Your life as believers is for his glory. It's meant that your life would reveal the glory of God in all things. I say this because what we need to understand is this truth, this idea about the glory of God being revealed is not simply left in the cosmic, but it's meant in the personal. He came so that your life might reveal the glory of God. This is foundational. This is a part of what it means to be a Christian. Your marriage is about the glory of God. Your marriage is about the glory of God being revealed. He broke into your life to bring two people together who, who confess Jesus Christ and he wants you to show forth the glory of God in the way in which you interact, the way in which you forgive, the way in which you love. Your singleness is for the glory of God. 
Nobody stands in, 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 a, in a place in which they can more declare to the world the totality, the, 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 the all-sufficiency of having God in their life. More than those who say, I stand alone, but not alone, for Christ is with me in all things. He satisfies me in every way. Your singleness can be used for the glory of God. Your parenting is about God's glory being revealed, being taught to your children about what it is to be loved unconditionally, about what it is to be disciplined, not out of anger, but to, be built, to build them up, to disciple them. Your parenting as a believer is meant for the glory of God. Our church community is about the glory of God being revealed. Over and over and over again, the word of God teaches us how to forgive one another, how to love one another, how to live in community, in unity, for the purpose of showing the glory of God. Being in church is not about you. It's about God being revealed through you. One of the great problems we have, I think, in the American interpretation of Christianity within the church is it becomes very much about me. It's about what I get out of this. And we are here to bring glory to God. The work that the coming Messiah does in our lives is so that the glory of God is shown. This is why he came. The angels reveal that the primary reason he came was that God's glory might be revealed. And they showed us the primary way in which this glory will be manifested. By peace on earth. Their declaration was, the Messiah has come and you'll find him. So glory to God and peace on earth. The coming of this child was the greatest revelation of the glory of God these people will ever see. And the coming of this child will bring peace to God's people. These people who will one day fill the whole earth with the righteousness and peace. As Isaiah declared, of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. That declaration is that in the lives of people, the peace of God will reign and it will spread across the entire globe. And there will be seen the glory of God through the peace that is received by mankind. His coming was for his glory and the expression of the glory was to bring peace to mankind who could not ultimately provide it for themselves. Jesus Christ came to bring us peace. Now, to understand the peace, you need to catch the nature of it. What we read expresses an important truth about the peace nature that we're talking about. You see, the angels make a, made a particular declaration about how this peace would come, where this peace would reside, where this peace would live throughout all time. The King James Version translates verse 14b this way. And on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. But virtually all the modern translations agree that this is not an accurate translation. The NIV says, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. 
The New American Standard Bible says, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And the ESV says the exact same thing that the New American Standard does. The point is that even though God's offer of peace goes out to all, what we see in their declaration is it only lands on those of God's chosen people. The people who receive Christ and trust him as Savior and Messiah and Lord will experience the peace he brings. This is something that the angel's declaration, I think, reveals to us. And our personal observation confirms. How much peace do you really see? As we look through the history of mankind since the time of Jesus Christ to now, in a general sense, do, would we say that peace has resided on mankind? But for those of us who know what it is to find Jesus Christ, we know where the peace comes from and the nature of that peace. Peace for those on whom his favor rests. What this means is that the peace of God or the peace of Christ can never be separated from God himself and Christ himself. If we want peace to rule in our lives, God must rule in our lives. If we want peace to rule in our lives, Christ must rule in our lives. God's purpose is not to give you peace separate from himself. His purpose is to give you peace by being the most glorious person, the most glorious experience, the most glorious thing in your life. Five times in the New Testament, he is called the God of peace. Jesus says in John 14, my peace I give to you. That's an important declaration because what it says is that peace is attached to him. My peace I give to you. And Paul said, Jesus himself is our peace in Ephesians 2. The point is God's peace is only experienced by those who accept and embrace God's peace giver, Jesus Christ. How are you a son of peace? How do you know if you are a part of the angel's promise? Peace among those with whom he is pleased? It's simple. You welcome the peacemaker and you receive Jesus Christ. What I discover is the word of God tells me that there is a peace that passes all understanding. But that peace comes when I put my faith and my hope and my life in Jesus Christ. What is the peace that Jesus offers? Jesus has come to inaugurate this peace among God's people. He tells us that I have come to bring peace to you. And I believe that he shows us in his word that there are three specific ways in which he wants us to find peace. A total peace. A complete peace. The first peace he brings to us is a peace with God himself. The most basic need we as humanity have is peace with God. This is foundational to all our other pursuits of peace. If we don't go here first, all other experiences of peace will be superficial and temporary. The key passage I would point to is 
Romans chapter 5 that says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. And this here is, a, is this, the, the, the pivotal act of believing. Justified by faith. What does that mean? It means by faith we believe. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. So since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word justified means that God declares you to be just in his eyes, in his sight, by imputing the righteousness of Jesus on you. Through Jesus Christ, we have been justified. Peace has been made between us and God. It's not by works, it's not by tradition, it's not by baptism, it's not by church membership, not by piety, not by parentage, but by faith alone. When we believe in Jesus as the Savior and Lord and, and the Lord and the supreme treasure of our lives, we are united to him and his righteousness is counted by God as ours. We are justified by faith. And the result of that justification is peace with God. God's anger at us because of our sin is put away. Our rebellion against him is overcome. God adopts us into his family. And from now on, in all of his dealings with us, he is for our good. He is for us. He loves us. He cares for us. He will never be against us. Because of the peace that Jesus Christ made, he is our father and he is our friend. We have peace. We don't have to be afraid anymore. This is the foundation from which all other peace can now flow. We know we're right with God. We know that God cares for us. We know that God is looking out for us. We know that our good is what he desires. And because Jesus Christ made peace between me and my heavenly father, I now can go forth and find peace in my own soul. That's the second point in which Jesus Christ came to bring us peace. Because we have peace with God, because of being justified by faith, we can now grow in enjoyment of peace within ourselves. And I want us to include into this any sense of guilt or anxiety that tends to paralyze us or make us hopeless. Here again, believing in the promises of God with a view of glorifying God in our lives is the key. Philippians 4, 6-7 through 7 says it is one of the most precious passages and it speaks specifically to the peace we can find because of where we are in Christ. Do not be anxious about anything. The opposite of anxiety is peace, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you understand how, how the peace made with the Heavenly Father leads right into a peace that we can find in the midst of our anxiety, in the midst of our situation? Because what happens is now I know that God is for me and not against me. And when I come into different circumstances and different situations, I can say, God, I trust you in this moment. 
It's not based upon my wisdom. It's not based upon my right decision. It's not based upon someone's favor towards me. Because I have the favor of God because of the peace that Christ has made for me. I can come to him and I can say, God, I, make, I, I bring this to you in prayer. I lay this at your feet. I trust in your heart for me. As my sovereign, as my Lord, I trust in you. And the declaration is here, when we're able to do that, the peace that passes all understanding will renew your hearts and renew your minds. What they're saying is the peace that makes no sense. Peace that passes all understanding. What that means is other people who have not found peace with the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ look at you and say, how can you have peace in this moment? I don't understand it. How can you find a place in which you're not gripped by anxiety because of your financial situation? You're not gripped with fear because of your diagnosis. You're not, you're, you're not paralyzed because of the relationship situation you find yourself in. And we say, because Jesus Christ has made peace with my Heavenly Father, I rest in Him and I trust in Him. And I put off all anxiety. Because I have a peace that passes all understanding. The picture here is that our hearts and minds can be under assault through guilt and worries and threats and confusions and uncertainties. But through it all, we can find peace. He gives us an unexplicable peace when we come to him and we trust in him. My encouragement to you this season is this Christmas season, do just that. Take your anxieties to your Heavenly Father. Because if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, He loves you. He wants good for you. He is your provider. And so trust in Him. Ask Him to help you, to protect you, to restore your peace. And then I would encourage you to use that to make peace. Because the third point in which Jesus Christ came to bring us peace is peace with others. As much as it lies with you, the Bible says, be at peace with everyone. The third relationship where God wants us to enjoy his peace is in our relationship with other, peop other people. And sometimes this one feels like the one we have the least amount of control over. And sometimes that is true. And I think that's why Paul writes in Romans in a very careful way when he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. For many of you, when you get together with family for Christmas, there will be awkward and painful relationships experienced. Some of the pain is very old. And some of it is new. In some relationships you know what you have to do. No matter how hard it is. And in some of them. You are baffled and don't know what the path of peace calls for. In both cases. The key here is, is trusting the promises of God. With a heartfelt awareness of how he forgave you through Christ. 
I want you to understand how the foundation, again, is the work that Jesus Christ did. That the reconciliation, the work he did to reconcile us with the Heavenly Father allows us to have the foundation, the platform, to go forth and have peace with others. He forgave you through Jesus Christ. And from that understanding, I think we have the opportunity to forgive others. The text that puts this together most powerfully for me again and again is found in Ephesians chapter 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. It's such an important declaration, and that, 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 that little phrase there. He says, God, put away all, forgive all, as God in Christ forgave you. There, there, is a, there is a depth of theology that is being stated there in those few words. God forgave you in Christ. How did he forgive you in Christ? By the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. What he's saying is Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, suffered that indignation, suffered that pain, suffered the punishment so that you might be forgiven. The gift that we have in the forgiveness of God was provided to us by all that Jesus Christ did. And so what he says is, Forgive one another in light of that reality. Keep that truth before you at all times so that you can live at peace with others. The foundation for our ability to reach out to others is the truth that we know that we have been forgiven much. And so we can forgive much. That our completion, that our totality, that our ability to find peace within ourselves does not depend on whether or not others accept us or others like us or what others say about us. But our inner peace is found because we have been accepted by God. And he is our hope and he is our life. The ability to live at peace with others comes when we can continually cultivate a sense of amazement. That in spite of all of our sins, God has forgiven us through Christ. It is important for us to be amazed at the peace you have with God. It's this sense of amazement that I, a sinner, have peace with God. This makes my heart tender and kind and forgiving. It allows me to extend forgiveness to others 70 times 7, as Jesus says. Your family member or your friend may throw it back in your face. It certainly was thrown back in Jesus' face on the cross. And it hurts, and it can make you bitter if you're not careful. But don't let it. Keep being more amazed at the wrongs that you have been forgiven. Be amazed that you have peace with God, that you have peace in your soul, that your guilt is taken away. Keep trusting God. He knows what he is doing. Keep his glory not your success or your effectiveness in peacemaking or your relationships supreme. Treasure what he's done for you 
in your heart. And in doing that, you will have peace. Through that, you can find peace. Inner peace and peace with others. Because he is our peace. Because he has made our peace. That's what he came to do. In light of this, I think it's appropriate that today is our Corporate Communion Sunday. Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, established for all time something very special for the church to do. He brought out the emblems, he brought out the, the wine, and he brought out the bread, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which is spilled for you. He established in that, he declared in that, this is me making peace between you and the Father. And he said, every time you do this, remember what I've done. You see, this is Jesus Christ laying out before you the source of your peace. The peace with God the peace within yourself and the peace with others. He was making the same declaration I made, which is have that sacrifice, have that work always before you. Because in light of that reality, we ourselves can bring glory to God by living in peace ourselves.